0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message.
1: Well, welcome again. I am really looking forward to today's program and... I'd like to start out, as you know, with something about my little buddy, Grace. And what I have today has nothing to do with the program because the program is is extremely serious. But I introduced how we got to the literal sense of humor last time. So I want to drill that down a little bit and share a couple more things. So I told you my son, Travis, really got us going when you know Cindy, my wife, said to him, um, I'm not going to tell you again no more dilly-dallying around, and then he said, well, how come you just told me again, Mom? You know, of course, you're supposed to support your wife. You can't do it when that stuff happens, and, uh, you know, Travis, um, he took that as he got older. He ratcheted that stuff up further, so he, he, I would say, Travis, have you ever heard of whatever? Have you ever heard of, you know, of a purple Mercedes. And he would say, you mean before you said it in the question? So when you start getting into this mindset and, you know, Grace picked up on this and it was, it was an absolute hoot. And so last time I introduced a book that I I had read to Grace early on called Morris and Boris. And, you know, some people won't get this humor, but I found the clip online of a a guy reading some of it. Well, I I decided to buy the book. You know, it's an old book, but I found one for six bucks online. And I just wanted to read. (laughs) There's three books in the sub book, but this one is called The Tongue Twister. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this gives you a flavor. Maybe I'll pick up on it next week. Uh, So this is called The Tongue Twister. So the two characters in this book are Morris and Boris. Um, Morris is the moose. Boris is the bear, and then there's a bird with no name. Okay, so here we go. The next day, Boris met Morris again. Can you say a tw- tongue twister? Boris asked. Morris said, "A tongue twister." So we're gonna. <laughs> I can't take that. So when I, I read this to Grace the first time, and you know the tears are coming down my eyes, and you know Cindy and I have been talking the last couple of days about how Grace, when she would really get into something like this book, when I read it, she said, read it again, dad, just read it again. So we would just howl together. So I want to show you her physically with her sense of humor. So this video that Don's going to play, it's just a 40 second clip. I'll just set it up. So Grace was in a uh, a play the last year before she died called The Sound of Music. And she got the part of the bower. So this is when the Von Tramp Family, uh, they're they're trying to hide, and they get into this contest. They they end up winning, but second place is to this these ladies. And Grace is the bower, and so you'll see how she takes the part and gives it her little flair. So go ahead, Don, play the video. Ladies and gentlemen, I have here the decision of our distinguished judge. We will start out in third place. In third
2: place, the judges have named that thing at <laughs> of let yep.
1: So, oh, my gosh. I mean, you get, you, she just was, you couldn't get enough of her humor. You know, think about what it was like to have somebody like this in your household. And, you know, she just, she had the love gene on, on such a level that you can't imagine. And then with humor and everything else, I mean, uh, we we had really a special life with her. So uh, I'm going to switch into today's topic. We're going, this is the part two of the hospital hostage negotiations that we we worked on three weeks ago with Greta and Laura, so I'm not gonna introduce them again. I'm not gonna make Greta um, identify herself with a you all. Uh, we're we're gonna trust her this time. But what? how this, this topic got introduced to the level of wanting it to be a two-part podcast is, I was involved with the hospital rescue personally on November 5th, and both Greta and Laura helped me because I had no idea how to do this. And what they shared with me is the intricacies of how that worked. And we were able to get Robert Pazer out of the hospital on November 5th really needs to be shared on a lot bigger level because my personality was really instrumental in doing that. And it shouldn't be based on a person's personality. I mean, you shouldn't have to just be a real strong person to get this done. You've got to know the intricate details. And Laura and Greta have really knocked it out of the park relative to this uh, lane in this medical tyranny fight that we're in. And, you know, they're they're cutting edge with this. And so what they have to share today uh, is part two. And I, I want everybody to just listen and share this with everybody that you you can. You know, if I would have known these two ladies when Grace was in the hospital, would she be alive? And the answer unfortunately is no, because I was not awake. And so the first step with any of this is you've got to be awake. You've got to realize that uh, there is an agenda and the hospitals are being used as a tool in this agenda to euthanize people. And until you believe that, nothing that we're going to talk about today will make any sense. But once you believe it, you see this is is a lifeline and it's part of your responsibility to get your family prepared for the inevitable hospital stay. So Don, go ahead and bring Laura and Greta in please. All right, welcome.
3: Hi, thanks for having us again.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. So what we're gonna do is like we did last time, I'm gonna turn everything over to you. And then if I have a question, it will just be because I think somebody else would too. And then I'll ask that and otherwise we're just gonna, we're gonna let you rip. So go ahead.
3: Sounds great. Well, first we want to start with uh, letting everyone know the, the severity of this. Um, like we said, people tend, tend to think, um, first they tend to think COVID's over with. And for us on the outside of the hospital, yeah, it, it pretty much is. Um, but not for the hospitals. Uh, when you go in there, it's going to be COVID everything. COVID, you know, pink eye, COVID pneumonia, COVID whatever. Um, uh, next, um, people think, well, I can just refuse remdesivir. It's not about remdesivir anymore. Um, things are developing, things are progressing as, um, the people start to catch on, uh, the hospitals start to catch on and they find different ways to, um, to basically murder someone. But the one thing that stands is your rights, um, and your knowledge. They can't take that away from you and that will never change. That's before, after, during whatever of COVID or anything. Um, I, so we'd like to Greta, sh- I
1: just want to add the reason why this is still happening legally is that the public health emergency was a friend of mine this morning. His right. granddaughter is going in for eye surgery and they are requiring as a condition the COVID test. And I told them don't allow, right. you, know, you got to make your own choice, but don't allow that test to happen. So there's there's exactly. a financial incentive because of the public health mm-hmm. emergency. So that's the legal yeah basis that the hospitals are using to keep on with this foolishness.
3: You're exactly right. And so for people to say, oh, COVID's over with, it's not over with because the hospitals are still getting that incentive. As long as they have that incentive, they're going to push COVID everything. So that's that's why it's important to know your rights. But we want to open up with a clip of Joyce so that people understand how serious this is. And um, hopefully it can, it can uh, kind of bring them into the, the context of what we're trying to talk about. So if we can play that clip.
4: Laura, this is Joyce in Salt Lake City. I'm rushing to the hospital because in a conference call with Kayla, that nasty doctor who was nasty to us on the very first, she said that Frank is on comfort care. I said, that's the first I heard of this. He hasn't, supposedly, he hasn't had dialysis or food since Monday, but I think they did it before. That's why they haven't been talking to me. My husband, even his pastor who wanted to pray with him Monday night, and now they're killing him.
3: Yeah. So, so this is really serious. Um, it's, it's happening every day. Um, and, and people really need to need to be prepared. Um, I don't know, Laura, do you want to speak on that a little bit? Uh, to,
5: to just give some context, that was a, a voicemail that she gave me permission to play. And, uh, she didn't get to see her husband for the last three weeks of his life. It was non COVID related. Um, she was thrown out of the hospital, uh, trying to get her medical records. I mean, the whole, her whole experience has been just horrific, but this is the, this this is the fight Mm -hmm. that Greta and I are Mm -hmm. in. And, and I'm sure there's some others that maybe we don't know of, but um, you really do need to be prepared before you, I always say this before you cross the threshold of a hospital because they are protected
2: Mm
5: -hmm. uh, entities legally, they are protected. Mm -hmm. So, if things are not the same as they were three years ago or four years ago. Things majorly changed during covid and they're not the hospitals that you remember, so even if you go in with like Greta said pink eye, you better have uh documentation.
3: We'll go over that in a minute, but there's a lot of things you can do to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um, we also have in Texas, we have a really great senator here. And uh, I always said every state needs a Bob, um, but he's really helping to to try to uh, shed light on this situation. And he's also tried. uh, He's done a couple of rescues himself and, and he knows the importance of this hotline. And so we want to play one more clip from him so he can kind of, and you don't see this very much from politicians, what he's going to say. Um, they, they kind of dance around the issue, but on this, he comes out and he tells you what's going on. So if you can play that uh, clip real quick of uh, clip one.
0: There is uh, no limit to the evil that's in the hospitals that you're going to. They are no longer the benevolent organizations they used to be. The patient is the last person on their list of things they're concerned about. Their number one concern is the money to be made uh, and and it's reflected in the number of deaths that have happened and and will continue to happen. People need to know what's really happening out there and they need to know there's hope, that there's there's help out there. Uh, There are folks who understand how the hospitals work now uh, that can help get you through the system. Understanding that patients do have rights, their work in helping people get out of the hospitals. Now, we we did some when people would call, we'd figure out a way to try to help uh, get get better treatment, better treatment, or get out of the hospital, go home. Uh, it was amazing the how the hospitals would lie to people. And pretend like they could refuse to let people out of the hospitals and we knew that wasn't true matter of fact i think there were many cases in which the hospitals could have been reported for kidnapping uh, for what they did in keeping people there and so uh but uh, their level they've taken, they've set up a thing called as i understand it, a hostage hotline and they've got a phone number to call and some people will help work uh work their way out of the hospital uh, or to another hospital, whatever it is. So, and I just just thank you guys. Uh, thank you for being here for thank us. You. And, for, and hopefully, uh, we can help a whole lot more people. God bless you. God bless America. God bless Texas.
1: Wow, that's quite a testimonial. Fantastic.
3: And, and one thing that that he said that we've noticed is he said they will lie to you. They and and people. I don't know if they just have this um, idea of, you know, he's in a coat, uh, you know, he's an authoritative figure or she is. um, They're they're so nice to us, you know. They can be nice to you and still lie to you. Um, And how do do kids get lured into vans? Yes, exactly. How do kids
5: get lured by strangers with candy, with a smile? Mm -hmm.
3: Exactly. And we've experienced that where we've, you know, told um, um, a family member, you know, you need to check the medical records and make sure that, you know, your your husband is not getting uh, any any medications that the, that we're not talking about. Well, you know, we've talked to him and he said, no, he's not getting any medications. This is you know, he's only getting this. And, I, and we're like, you still need to have your eyes on that on the online chart. You still need to do it. And then finally, four days later, they, they're able to get in the chart. And this whole time, he's been given fentanyl every hour as needed for pain. And they decide, since he's on a ventilator, the doctor or nurse decides if he's in pain by a grimace, you know. So this whole time, she never knew he was on pain medication. You never and mentioned that's it. I never mentioned it. And he was nice. And, you know, and she trusted what he said. And the fact is, you. They have to earn your trust. They really do. Everything they say, you cannot take it face value. You need um, to be, have that online portal open and checking it and making sure because they, some of them do lie. Some of them forget. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, but in our situations, they were straight up lies. Um,
1: So, you know, we could stop right here because if people don't get this, they might as not listen to the rest of the program. So then just shut this thing off and don't listen to the rest because you got to get this. If you don't Mm -hmm. think that they will lie, you're you're fooling yourself when we rescued Robert Pazer. Yeah, I thought he was going to die. So I actually taped this conversation for the family just in case. So, I mean, they had already given him three doses of remdesivir, which was six for his body weight. So I right. said, Robert, what, how did they do this? He said, the doctor told me, well, the, you have COVID, but the good news is I have an antiviral and mm-hmm. you'll be fine in three days. And most of my patients are fine in two. And that antiviral was remdesivir. In right. Grace's case, as you know, they put an illegal DNR on her. So what I am, what you're so talking about the chart, I think that as a patient and their advocate, you have to have an, a laptop on with mm-hmm. the chart online yes. because in the state of Wisconsin now, the Department of, of Safety and Professional Services, which regulates the doctors, they said the state DNR statute doesn't apply in hospitals. We have a written document from them. So that means you have to have your laptop up and watching every second. Did mm-hmm. the DNR on me? I mean, this is this is how insane this is. So again, mm-hmm. if you don't believe this, shut the thing off now. If you do mm-hmm. keep listening, go ahead.
3: Yes, you're exactly right. Um, we we want to get that through to people that you cannot trust anyone in there. You really can't trust is out the door. Um, you have to just observe and watch and see if they are are following uh, your your directives that you you came with that are notarized and and signed and making sure um, that they're not, they're not doing anything they shouldn't uh, be doing. But um, a lot,
5: go ahead. We have the, we have the, to my knowledge, we have the toughest paperwork documentation, the, the way it's worded there's consequences Mm
2: -hmm. to the doctors. I just want to say
5: that So when we get to the paperwork part later, just understand how important it is to to have it in writing. No contract, business contract would ever fly if you just said, you know, if a handshake and a wink and a smile that hey, you know, you're fifty percent, I'm fifty percent of this company, and then it makes millions. No, you want it in writing.
1: That's fantastic. Right. I saw the new document too. It's great. Can we have a consequence? Be that they have to take the same treatment that they're prescribing.
3: Right. <laughs> that would that would that would really wake some eyes up. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, they are
5: motivated by money. And so mm-hmm. greed is a very powerful motivator to a lot of people. And when you yes. let them know that they might not be able to make money because they don't have a license, that gets their attention.
3: Right. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, also, uh, we want to, to you know, let people know that because um, a lot of people, they're like, I don't understand this hotline. I don't understand how it works. Um, first, if if you if you can grasp the first part of what we just said, you know then then you're doing great. You're on board. Um, but then after that, they want to to know about the hospital hotline. You know, they're like, "Who? I don't understand this. I don't know, understand how it's working or anything like that. So we have one more clip here that uh, we want to show some testimonials of, of people that, you know, we help because I want to reiterate, reiterate that not all advocates are the same. OK, um, there's advocates that work for the hospital. And if you call on them, you're wasting your energy, time, everything. They get paid by the hospital. So that's that's just you don't even bother with they that. are an advocate. They're an advocate for the hospital. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. exactly. I mean, that's the fox guarding the hen house if they're mm-hmm. Right.
3: And then you have other advocates who, um, you know, whether they want to make money or whether they just don't understand the, what's going on, the true workings of the hospital. Um, a lot of the times the, the the doctors in the hospital don't understand the information that we have here. They don't understand about the ethics committee meetings or things like that. Go ahead, Laura. The, the advocate, there
5: are advocates, that, there are people who claim to be advocates out there that are more of a... Therapist, let me put it that way. For the victim, we don't we don't want them to be victimized to the point of death. Mm-hmm. And so we don't need to just be get a, a, a counseling therapy session just for somebody mm-hmm. to tell you how bad things are. You need an advocate that will actually get in there and help mm-hmm. get you out. Right. Who knows how exactly. to do that? Not just be an ear to listen to you uh, tell minute by minute how bad things are. It needs to be action with a strategy. Or-
3: or sometimes they try things that, in my personal opinion, uh, hurt, harm the patient worse, yeah. which is, you know, they say, well, we're going to get an attorney and we're going to get an injunction and we're going to get a this and we're going to push that. Well, all that does is it alerts the hospital that, hey, they're taking legal action. We need to speed up this death process.
5: Yeah. And I've that's the usually- single time. It's never worked out for the patient.
1: Fantastic yeah, it, point. It, that is really a great point.
3: Yeah. And, and although we want it to work, the
5: fact yeah,
1: is that it,
3: it doesn't. It, it just doesn't. And it's it's it because um, it, once you're through that door, the time is ticking. It, you know, you need to either get better or get out. If they're not helping you get better, then you need to get out. Those That's are the right. two options. So that time starts ticking. And when you bring in stuff like attorneys, which we know how the legal um, uh, process goes, uh, it's just real fast, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's very slow. And then yeah. that just gives them more time to actually... Um, plan out the, 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 uh, drag it out. Yeah. Plan it and drag it's more, it out. More,
5: more money in the coffers. Right. The, every single uh, day that they're in the hospital and mm-hmm. all the treatments that are yep. administered, that's money in the bank. Yeah. So and, what and if we want to do is-
3: If the advocate is paid by the hour and the attorney's paid by the hour and the hospital's making money by using more things in the hospital, it's really a money-making situation for all then. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I know people are going to say, oh, that's not nice. Well, it's the truth. It may not be nice. You may not like hearing it. It's the truth. Um, so go ahead, Laura. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, we're,
5: we're, we're highly motivated to get you out as quickly as possible. There is, there is no incentive to keep you in the hospital right. financially because we're not getting paid. We just want that's people it. to live. And uh, exactly. if we can start arranging things for, if it's COVID, to, to have medication and treatment outside the hospital arranged while you're in the hospital, which is what you need to do, we're the liaison between the, uh, the outside help and the patient who's sitting in bed uh, waiting to get out. So all this is, is being um, processed at the same time so that you can get out if you have COVID, get treated outside the hospital if you're not all on right. a ventilator. If you're on a ventilator, we need to work towards a better, a better care plan to get you off the ventilator, get you stable enough to get out of the hospital, and then have everything lined up so that when you're out of the hospital, you're getting treatment at
3: home. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, with that being said, I'd like to go ahead and play clip uh, two with the um, the, the testimonials. <laughs> I I realized immediately that they would not listen to me. They would not,
2: they were violating her rights, her wishes, you know, just we couldn't get anywhere. I mean, We were hitting a brick wall or it was gut wrenching. It was horrible. And um, we
3: reached out, we had a friend that knew Laura. He gave us her contact info and Laura just so graciously shared so much information with me and worked with me and my family throughout the whole process of I mean, she was so great because we would call her and say, this is what they said now. And she's like, not true. But I wouldn't have known anything if it wasn't for Laura.
2: And with all of that being done, you know, thank God, you know, we ended up saving my mom's life. We had her off oxygen in 30 hours after getting her own de And um,
3: we we had her weaned off. She's healed. They same thing, they told it Samantha's mom, your mother will always be on oxygen if she lives. Uh, They were trying to send her to a long-term
2: care facility, said no, absolutely not and that's important for people to
3: know but
5: they just wouldn't work with us in any way and they would barely tell us what doses they were giving and how much and things like that it was was very difficult um and then of course uh, isolation so no visitation and that was a solid two weeks um so it was it was pretty rough but but you know that was the first time we had been through something like this um and uh, if if we didn't have Laura, you guys to talk with, to even try new things. We would never have known, um, even questions to ask, um, that that we had those rights to, you know, a number of things throughout that whole two weeks period.
2: When she got into the hospital, it was like they went from zero to 10, just everything that they can to get her just down as fast as possible. It's like, okay, so I knew we gotta do something. So I found a video, not on YouTube, on, a different platform that doesn't censor as much and and at the bottom of it had the link to protocolkills.com I don't even remember the video. I found protocolkills, I emailed Greta, uh, I called the number that was listed and then within a couple hours uh, Laura called me back. I missed the call and I was like oh wow so within moments I was able to get connected when you hear the truth and they give you here you designate these other things you know and they're listing out the plan of action that works and you hear that truth it's like it sets right in your spirit it's like okay we are going to fight for this now reach out for help and then be confident in the in and ask yourself you know does that truth that you're hearing does it feel right does it feel and and rest on that lean into it and it's scary but you've got to trust the people that are speaking life of you from their experience and that's why this hotline thing is huge because again as greta said yes it was all on the website to be able to speak to somebody on the phone and have a peace of mind and feel encouraged to know, okay, so the fact that we got grandma out, I was like, oh my gosh, like it was like such a fight.
1: Okay, I got the first comment after that. So <laughs> this is phenomenal. So because people don't realize, why would we, why would they want testimonials? So is this mm-hmm. service $999? No. Is it $599? No. Today, is it $99? No. It's all for zero. They don't make a penny. So they're right. advertising yeah. to work harder. I mean, that makes no sense, right? Other than in God's economy. So and we didn't think
3: we'd have to do that either. That's, that's the thing. We, <laughs> we got to advertise
1: to give something away to save yeah. your life. Right. Yeah. It makes no sense. So
3: anyway, but, that was yeah. that was fantastic.
5: Yeah. <laughs> we get that a lot. It's such a weird paradox. It's uh, you know, y- you have to show people that this is real. That the testimonials are only serving to show that hey, P- you can get help. Some mm-hmm. another human being got helped. It works. Um, mm-hmm. But no, there's there's no marketing of it. Uh, I just want people to know it's available so that they, if they're in a situation, look, I'm a Christian and uh you know i've never served in the military to help my fellow americans um i've never gone overseas and was a missionary this is i think what you know i can do here to help other people i sometimes you don't have to go to a foreign country to help somebody you can just help your neighbor next door uh, i've helped people that are in my own personal circle that i never thought would be in the situation and i was able to get them out of one hand uh, one hospital that was trying their hardest in my opinion, to kill them and into another hospital to be treated walking pulmonary embolism that almost killed them. Uh, so this is my, my mission at the moment. This is, I guess, missionary work. I'm trying yeah.
3: to, to help people. And that's what God calls us to do. Mm hmm. Exactly, and our, our treasures are not here on this earth; they're in heaven, and and we're clear with that. But yeah. um, but some, the people are so skeptical that um, this, the skepticism is misplaced at this point. You know, you, you should be skeptical of that doctor and what he's doing. Um, and, and instead they're they're skeptical of somebody who's offering a free service. Well, yeah. like Breck said in that last part, is when you hear the truth, it sets right with you. And so if you're you're using discernment. And it sets right with you, then you know. Um, and when I was in the hospital, I knew something was wrong. It didn't, It was not a feeling of of uh, a peace or trust or like things were going well. I, I it was wrong, and I knew it was wrong, but I I didn't couldn't put my finger on it. So um so you you you'll know when things are going right or when they're going wrong. And like she said, lean into that. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, uh, uh, Laura. Yeah, no, that's true. And,
5: you know, Greta's been a victim of hospitals in the last uh, couple of years. Um, Scott, you've been a victim from the other side where somebody that it was close to you, your daughter was, a, was victimized and a, a victim of these terrible hospital situations. I've also have a lot of empathy personally because my mom uh, died in a hospital uh, due to um, hospital error. And uh, it was over 25 years ago, but um, we didn't know our patient rights back then. We didn't, but I have a particular empathy for what people are going through now. And I, I would like to prevent anybody from the horror that Scott experienced. Uh, Breda had to endure. And what I personally and my family had to experience, she died on Mother's Day. And so um, I have empathy. I love total strangers. I don't, I don't know these people. I have yet to meet anybody that we've, we've helped in person, but um, they, they're from coast to coast and it doesn't matter where they're at. And I just, um, I feel like called to do this and I know how to do it and we're, we're making progress. And I think that that's um, upsetting the apple cart in a lot of ways for whatever the agenda is. So go yeah. ahead. Greta.
3: Uh, yeah. I, I think we've been taught for a long time. Cause if anything, the enemy's patient. Um, we've been trained a lot, a lot, for the longest time to uh, turn everything over to those in the hospital. And at first that that was okay because um, they didn't have control over the doctors and things like that. But since that time, our government has taken over these hospitals. And I know you think people think we have a free, uh, um, you know, government here and and Canada is only run by their medical systems only run by the government. No, ours is too. We just have the illusion of freedom. So, um, and that's what people, people need to understand that too. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, w- I want Laura to go into an example so that people understand better of, uh, the situations that can come up and, and why people, um, get these feelings of it's not right. Um, and, and the first one would be with the, uh, the 93 year old, um, lovely lady that was able to escape. Um, you want to go ahead, Laura? Sure. Sure. So there's a, uh, um, um,
5: The daughter of this 90 year old, so she was already up in years herself, um, was, had called me, she had power of attorney and we worked to get her out. She, she went in for, um, for a blood clot actually. It wasn't, um, it wasn't active COVID and, um, she went to the hospital for that. And, uh, during her stay, she repeatedly had to fend off what she felt like was a concerted effort to get her, um, vaccinated against her will. She, she had to repeatedly, no less than five times, say, I'm not taking it. I don't want it. Those are her, her personal medical directives. She was totally conscious, very sharp as a tack, 93-year-old. And let me tell you, the night that she decided I've had enough, she co- pushed the, the nurse's call button next to her bed. And for 20 minutes, nobody came in the middle of the night. She didn't trust that they she would fall asleep and not have uh, somebody put something in her arm without her permission. And so that's how scared she was of it. She was aware of the repeated uh, attempt to give her something. She said, no, 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 no means no. On a date, it means no. And it means no in a hospital too. And so she um, then to escalate things, she started unplugging her like heart monitor and different different things unplugged her or uh disconnected her iv and um it set off alarms she did that intentionally so that it would set off some 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 alarms literal alarms that were uh, buzzing and nobody came and so she called her family and said i'm it's more dangerous to be here than to go home uh it's say safe, i'm safer at home so she went ahead Family came, got her. She wheeled past a bunch of joking, laughing, snickering nurses' station, got home. And then about 30 minutes later, she's at home and I'm on the phone with her. And she goes, Oh my gosh, Laura, the police are at the door. The police are at the door, Laura. I had to tell her, You've done nothing wrong. You have not broken any laws by deciding to leave a hospital. People hear me, you are not breaking a law by taking yourself home if you want to go home. Mm-hmm. There's, that's your own patient right to decide what you want to do with your body in a hospital situation. So anyway, um, she still had her, they wouldn't even help her get the IV needle out of her arm. It was so bad. Her. And I just heard from her just the uh, just the other day, yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, she sent me a text. If I can find it. Um, here it is. She says, I need my glasses on because um, we we still keep in touch. I keep in touch with everybody. She says, y'all. <laughs>
4: she <laughs> you know, says, related to
5: y'all bro. are our <laughs> angels. Mom is still good at 94 years old. Staying away from hospitals! Four exclamation points! <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
5: um, so the, that's the kind of thing that you've got to be prepared for. It is not just—I know there's a there's this this, this uh, narrative that it's just just avoid remdesivir. Yes, please, no. by all means, avoid that that yeah. that whatever <laughs> you want to call it, that chemical. Right. Uh, avoid that. But it's not just about avoiding that. This woman didn't mm-hmm. go in for COVID. And her Mm -hmm. life was threatened. Uh, Mm -hmm. The gentleman in New Jersey went in for a urinary tract infection and had to leave with uh, um, against medical advice with a catheter dangling between his legs and a hospital gown. Mm
1: -hmm.
5: It's I know that makes Scott kind of (laughs) go.
1: It does make me wince personally, but I also have experienced this, you know, the idea of being pressured or a repeated attempt. So, I mean, with Grace, it was repeated attempts five different times. Requesting a pre-authorization for a ventilator, I had the benefit of speaking at Red Pill Expo, and I got to do some one-on-one discussion with G. Edward Griffin. And he, at two in the morning, three nights in a row, he's in the hospital by himself. They came in to give him remdesivir, and mm-hmm. you know, by God's grace, he was awake and stopped them. And then on the third night, he noticed there was a DNR bracelet on him, and you know, they did that unilaterally. Uh, just this in Robert Pazer's situation, we had that same thing. The nurses wouldn't take out the IVs when we decided that we've had enough. We're leaving. You know, the doctor wouldn't sign him out, so we left AMA. Uh, but then one of the nurses, and this is the I think the critical point because you can't, you really can't get here mentally until you understand what I'm going to share. And so you think, how could this possibly be? How can these nurses do this? So the nurse in Robert Pazer's case. So there was a kind nurse that came in at shift change. We're ready to go. She was willing to remove the IVs against the the head nurses um, telling her to not do it. So then I said, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever have this chance again. So I'd like to ask you a question. I said, how can you, I said, you don't have to answer this, but you know that they were going to kill Robert. How could you participate in this? And her answer really gives you a perspective. And I'm going to go through another one. She said to me, "I'm from the Philippines, and I have to do everything that they tell me. If I don't, I'll be deported." Yes, so she knew they were going to kill Robert, who we rescued. She knew it, and she was willing to participate because she didn't want to be deported last week, so you know grace's story is all over the place in it was in um, I was interviewed by Wisconsin Christian News, and one of the ladies who interviewed me, her friend called her she's a nurse her friend's a nurse she called her and said that man is lying last week that same nurse called this reporter from wisconsin christian news and said he's not lying i was in the hospital with my dad i'm the power of attorney this is in an appleton wisconsin hospital i'm the power of attorney and they put a dnr on my dad so all Mm -hmm. of a sudden she realizes i'm telling the truth so i talked physically with this lady then Okay, so I thought, boy, I mean, she called this reporter, so I got the reporter. Said, yeah, she she's willing to talk with you. I talked with her for about a half hour, asking her. You know, she told me the story. She's thankful her dad's alive. I said, will you come and share? Mm-hmm. And she won't she will not do it? She's she doesn't want to lose her job. So I mean, mm-hmm. this is the these hospital uh, doctors and nurses are actively participating in murder mm-hmm. because their job is more important than Mm -hmm. their godly responsibility. And you you have to get that through your head if you're going to believe what Greta and Laura are sharing.
5: Right.
3: Mm -hmm. And and that's that's the
5: truth. Go ahead, Laura. I was going to say that it's important. There are some uh, things that have to be in alignment for us to really help help somebody. It's kind of like if someone's drowning and you're a Mm -hmm. lifeguard, you're very skilled at ocean rescues, let's say, swimming against current... uh, navigating sharks, whatever you have to do to get to that person. But if that person is fighting you back and will not trust you that you have their best interest at heart, that's going to be a problem. Mm So if uh, sometimes we have a uh, a loved one in the family, that's very interested. We've had them reach out to us and they're interested Mm -hmm. in the patient or it's a friend of the patient, but it's only the power of attorney that can affect change for that uh, you know, to direct the doctor, in medical directives and, and directing care. It can't be just mm-hmm. somebody who's really, really concerned. So that's a challenge for us. We, we can only do so much. Uh, we can't, uh, you know, go against people's will. And if the Correct. person say it's the wife of the husband and it's a son that contacts us, like recently, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my mom just trusts the doctors and is afraid to upset them. She's afraid that, mm-hmm. she keeps saying they're the boss. Don't make things worse. They're the boss. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling Mm -hmm. you, you've got to understand what we're saying, that what's the worst case scenario? Uh, We know what the worst case scenario is. We've all experienced it. Mm -hmm. It's death. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So you might as well fight. You know, you've heard in hostage Mm -hmm. situations, if you get if, if someone tries to grab you in a parking lot, you don't you don't willingly go with them. You get away. That's what you're trained to do. That's what every police officer will tell you to do in that situation is you fight, you kick, you whatever, to get away. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you just go, go along to get along, Stockholm syndrome sets in. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Real mm-hmm. Stockholm syndrome situations happen where people go, right. they're nice. Uh, it looks like they're, they're helping us. They're listening to us. He smiles, mm-hmm. and he nods, and he really takes time to listen. Look, we need action. We don't, mm-hmm. don't, we don't need someone who's just passively letting our loved ones die. So right. um, I'm going to tell people they need to be on the offensive, not defensive. You need to fight hard to get out of a hospital. Mm-hmm. And the, the number one thing you can do is be prepared, not mm-hmm. scared, be prepared, not right. scared. Get, get the documentation that has got teeth. It's got mm-hmm. legal teeth and it's all available. Mm-hmm. It's all free. We're not making any money, no retainers, no anything like that, uh, mm-hmm. that's out there. You can get these free documents, get them notarized, get them signed, get them, Get get copies of them, mm-hmm. put one in your yes. glove box, your car in case you're T-boned at an intersection and you got to get scooped up and taken to the hospital.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Give them to your power, you know, give them to loved ones. So they have a copy, mm-hmm. put them on your refrigerator, have multiple copies of these documents that we have provided at Mm ourpatientrights.com.
3: And and for the people that are listening and saying, okay, I understand this. I I get what they're saying. I'm not going to trust the doctor. I'm 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 going to have this my paperwork. I'm going to have this number in my phone in case I'm in a situation. Um and that they're really on the ball. And then they say I'm going to make you know mom my medical power attorney because I'm very close to mom. Um, Or I'm going to make, you know, my cousin, because we we were so close when we grew up together. Well, if your cousin's been, you know, triple vaxxed and is ready for the four more boosters, and believes everything that the doctors say, is that in line with what you're hearing now? You know, you know, the truth and you you're taking in the truth and you're believing the truth. But yet you have a medical power of attorney who is not in line with the truth. And that's going to be a, a problem. You're not going to have somebody who's going to step up and fight for you like you would want them to, you know, get somebody every, with a
5: backbone, get yes. somebody with a backbone, get somebody mm-hmm. who will literally go to the mat for you. I, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I say that I'm, I'm willing to burn bridges to save a life. You yeah, know, my personal network or whatever. I don't care. I will burn yeah. bridges and I'll burn a hundred mile radius around that bridge to right. save somebody. You need and, and somebody who will do that.
3: Yeah. You need somebody who's going to sit and watch the, the episode one and episode two of this show yes. sit through the whole thing. And then at the mm-hmm. end you ask them, do you believe what was said? And if they say, yes, I completely believe, okay, we're on the same page. I'll make you my power of attorney. You know, that's, that's, that's what you down. need. <laughs> but um, also the, the next thing we want to bring up real quick is that uh, uh, people say, you know, what, what can we expect on the hotline? We've seen the testimonials, but I, I want to know, you know, what, what do we, what happens? And so we have a little clip here of um, Laura in action um, advocating. And so we, we want to roll clip four and, and let people uh, get a taste of that.
4: But we want, you know, options. We want alternatives instead of just, you know, I guess accepting, um, you got to fight for your right to patient rights. you gotta, you got to assert them. Right. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah, and, and I think people also, just as a friendly, gentle reminder, um, it's good to know what you don't want, but if they, she doesn't know, neither do I, every possible medication that's out there, and it's got to get in the habit of asking what are the risk benefits of everything?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Risk benefits is its consent language. Just get used to it; it'll, it'll just come natural, second you know, second nature to say what are the okay. So he needs that. Um, what are the risks of that? That what are the benefits of that? So Make an informed consent. Right. Yeah. Now that was so- me talking
5: to the daughter when mm-hmm. I said gentle reminder that it was a crisis situation uh, with the father. Mm-hmm. She, she's an example of somebody I was, was talking to because she was the most availed with the advocate, but it's unfortunately not the person who had decision making. So I'm trying to let that person, you know, who's willing to hear, uh, mm-hmm. know what their patient rights are, encourage mm-hmm. them gentle reminder. You know, this is a very, sensitive time uh, when this conversation was, was had. So for her to then gently tell the, the mom who's right there bedside with the father, dear people, um, what they went through was horrific. But um, that's just an example of one, many conversations um, Mm -hmm. of patient rights, informed consent. I can't say that enough. It is your right to know every bit of what's happening or, or even the medicines that are being ordered, not even administered yet. You weigh in, please weigh in and have a voice. And I'll say it, hold the doctor's feet to the fire. It's only the doctor who can, who can order medicine and direct care. It's not the nurse. It's not the patient advocate. It's not the CEO. It's not the, um, CNO. It's it's nobody. It's not the custodian pushing the, the mop in the hallway. It is just the doctor.
2: Mm-hmm. So
5: ask that doctor what the risk, benefits, and alternatives to everything. Don't accept. I'm just giving him something. That's usually what they say. We're giving him something for the problem. Giving him something for inflammation. Giving him something for high blood pressure. Giving him something uh, for whatever
4: mm-hmm.
5: kidneys. They'll start labeling. The something as a body part, mm-hmm. Give him something mm-hmm. for your heart, giving him something for his kidneys, giving him something so he can urinate. Ask what that something is. and ask We want what the name the, of it. And the brand name, generic mm-hmm. and brand name. And then ask and the what dope. the risks and
3: benefits are of, of all of it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Greta. Yeah,
5: I mean, that's, I'm uh, sorry. That's, uh, that's,
1: that's, go ahead.
3: I was going to say, and the dose, ask the dose, ask everybody, everybody has a cell phone. Okay. And we can't understand and learn all these information, but the patient in there, they know their body better than that doctor does. And the loved one knows that patient's body better than the doctor does. They know the illnesses in the past because a lot of these people are fighting underlying conditions. They know the illnesses in the past. They know the medications they're on. And a lot of the times, the way that these hospitals are getting around the remdesivir is, well, there's a comorbidity. And, you know, um, you know, this guy came in with cancer. He's been having chemo. OK, well, we're going to give him, you know, uh, what was it, vancomycin or dexamethasone? No, it was, or, uh, yeah, dexamethasone. dexamethasone.
5: Uh, it's it's like, like they don't tell you how drugs interact. I have right. yet to hear a doctor in a hospital tell a patient that I'm working with. Um, oh, by the way, the this drug that you're already on, it'll react with this drug in this way. Never hear that explanation uh, they're lucky enough just to hear the name of the the medication and the dose and the route meaning is it iv is it oral through a pill is it a shot they don't go into uh, as much detail as even telling you the name of the drug sometimes right. so you really got to be involved you've got to you you have to just be so involved. It's it's crazy that you have to, you can go, to, you used to be able to just go to the doctor and go, what do you need done? Like I go to my hair salon and say, go ahead and, and do what you did last time be to easy. my hair. <laughs> I don't need to know the chemicals, uh, but you do in a hospital in the last three years, you really have to ask all those questions. And then you have to verify by going into your patient chart. I can't stress this enough. Get on your electronic medical record. And look mm-hmm. what they did that day, what the progress notes of the doctor are, what the medication, the dose, the when they gave it last, um, mm-hmm. this, the next scheduled dose. Check all of it. Verify. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. accept a verbal, this is what uh, we're giving them. Because we found many times there's more that they're giving them than what they verbally said to mm-hmm. the to the patient's family.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's absolutely right on. I mean, just the progression that people... You know the the old school was you just trust the doctor, so you don't even ask the question. Now, Mm -hmm. you know if the doctor says I'm giving him something for this, I mean that's Mm -hmm. not informed consent. That's Mm -hmm. telling you what they've already decided after the fact. That's right. Uh, Yeah, you You don't order. This is what you need to
5: tell the doctor. You don't order anything. the The verbiage is, "I need informed consent." This is the verbiage you need to say. It's legal, medical, legal verbiage. Don't pay Mm -hmm. attention. I need informed consent. Don't order anything. Ordering Mm -hmm. is when you put that order into the pharmacy. You don't order anything until I know the risk benefits and reasonable alternatives. Exactly. And then
1: then your responsibility is don't feel pressure because as Greta Mm -hmm. said, everybody has a phone. Now take the time and look it up. That's right. Don't feel the pressure to make a decision quickly. You know, taking a half hour isn't going to mean life or death in 99.99% of the situation. So take right. the time, process, talk with somebody right. on the outside. Um, and then, you know, one that I just learned of is that the body can be used as a syringe. So this med combination idea, for example, if they put two meds together in a syringe, obviously that's that's could be a problem, right?
2: Mm-hmm. But what if
1: they've injected a med four hours earlier? Now they start another one, but the one four hours earlier has a 12-hour half-life. Well, now uh-huh. your body became the syringe. So that's another mm-hmm. piece of this puzzle that it, it just, we have to take personal responsibility yes. for our care. Yes. And that's really mm-hmm. the, you know, if you get that, then, you know, this mm-hmm. becomes a no-brainer yes. to, to get help.
3: Right. And and in the past, people with, you know, co- comorbidities of, um, you know, um, asthma or um, high blood pressure or, you know, you're a little overweight. Those were not a big issue. Um, but now all of a sudden, when you go in with COVID, it's it's life threatening and and really it's not. What they're doing is they're, they're targeting those comorbidities. You're already on medication for, you know, high blood pressure. Then they give you this other COVID medication that directly interacts with your high blood pressure medication because they don't tell you about that. And then, bam, you're on a, a ventilator because, you know, you can't breathe or some crazy stuff. It's just you have to be aware of your body. You have to be aware of what you've taken before and what they're trying to give you now. And then you have to make sure that they're not giving you what you said you didn't want. I mean, it's it's a con, like uh, Breck said at the end of that video, it was a fight and it will be a fight till the very end. You have to go in there with your armor on ready to fight because that's what it is.
2: Yeah,
3: that's right. So um, I wanted to move on to um one more clip here about uh, a doctor telling uh, the family and the patient that the patient cannot be retested for COVID. Um, of course, they they don't want him retested because if if it comes back negative, then you know no money in that and and that, their goal is to get you uh, deceased and have COVID on that uh, death certificate. This is a re-
5: reenactment.
3: Yes, it is a reenactment and um and. Basically, it's 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 an actual thing, but a reenactment. Um, so if you can roll clip five real quick. We should probably, doctor, get him a covid test.
1: It, we actually don't retest those. We base it off as time based because it can actually be positive up to three months. So, there's not really any utility in testing again.
3: Well, they're very inexpensive tests, and we'd like...
1: But based on time.
3: Well, no, I was just going to say, um, I believe the family would like to have him retested for COVID.
1: There's legitimately no reason to do that, because we're still not going to take him off isolation. We're not going to change our treatment
4: at all.
3: Well, if he wasn't COVID positive, he'd probably just go home. No. If the tests say negative...
4: No, ma'am. He would not be able to go home.
3: Oh, against medical advice, he could.
1: I, I mean, you can go against medical advice at any time.
3: So there are some lies there. First, right. to tell him you can't go home. Okay, that you, mm-hmm. that's called kidnapping. Okay, yes, that this person can go home. He was able to walk. Of course he could go home. <laughs> you can't tell him you can't go home. Um, do you want to talk about the rest of that, Laura? My gosh, you you can you imagine if
5: this was like a uh, big box retailer and you are not leaving until you buy that flat screen TV and, right. and half have, have the merchandise on aisle five. Why? Right. Right. No, I just wanted to get a charging cable. No, you cannot leave. This is the kind of crazy that people are having to deal with. It's, it's money. It's money walking out the door. It's dollar signs with legs walking out. And, and the fact uh, that
3: says, the fact that uh that um I'm sorry, the fact that the doctor says uh that you know you can't leave or um we can't retest for because the test can be positive for up to three months. Right. Um, so, so we're not gonna retest. Well, if that's the case, is that the standard you hold all the nurses and doctors to when, when they get COVID? You no. no they way. Them- Do they
5: wait three months?
3: No, oh, right, right,
4: they've, right.
3: They've been put to work sick. You know, uh-huh. like sick uh, doctors, uh, nurses coming to work with COVID um, fever, a- and they're they're on the job. And but you know, different standards. Then it's all made up for them to benefit from it. You know, rules for for thee and yeah. not for me. Yeah. Um, so uh, that I want to move on onto the forms and 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 um, talk about a, a, another. Um, situation where the forms came in handy for two, two different people. Um, One, she got her mom out of the hospital um, in in the Dallas area. Do you want to tell that story real quick?
5: Sure. Yeah. I remember getting the call like in the middle of the night as they usually conveniently are. Um, (laughs) And, you know, you just go into, uh, go into fight mode for these people. And uh, there's a process to this, this paperwork. It's, it's not just uh, something that you just passively sign your name on. Like it's a school sick note for your kid. There's, there's a specific language in there, you know, to turn into the teacher. It's not that it's very specific. It's got teeth and there's a specific way we give it to people be, uh, or we deliver it. Um, a lot of times hospitals will not receive paperwork. They don't, they won't, don't want to know if I never received it. Kind of like, um, you know, if you're being served, um, a summons. You, you a, a lot of times people dodge uh, that paperwork. Very did way. in the trash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just not here. Don't want it. Don't see it. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. it's coming from the patient. So we give instructions on how to deliver this through a certified mail, and also uh, in cases with a um, with a courier. Get a courier service. It Might cost you a little bit, but they they have to sign for it, so you know that it was delivered. So anyway, go ahead, Greta.
3: Yeah, and um, and and that's been successful in, in several different things. Um, one one guy, he was actually uh, asking about his his brother's uh, medical, the medicine they were administering, and the doctor got very defensive and said, "Why do you want to know? You know." And he's like, "Well, police were called? yeah, police were called." Um, and he's like, "Wait a minute, why are the police called?" And he had that documentation that we had, and once. He presented that once he presented the ethics committee form, um, things changed drastically. He said he was getting phone calls from the doctors and trying to figure out um, uh, what nurse called the police. And and he's like, at the end of the whole situation, he said, I think I'm getting the best. uh, uh, My brother's getting the best care out of all the people here. And and so
5: a a apology from the from the doctor and an open investigation on the nurse who harassed him. Okay, this is what the, pap- the paperwork we have mm-hmm. it, uh, delivered in a certain way, it gets mm-hmm. attention. A lot of times people, do, uh, let me just be very clear about this ethics committee uh, consultation. Doing the paperwork the way that we, um, our system, sometimes people are out of the hospital or get a change in, in patient care before they even have to go to the, um, to the ethics meeting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Very rarely do people even have to go to the ethics committee. Just the fact that you have eyes on it, you put them on notice that Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a patient that knows my rights, because a lot of uh, hospitalists don't even know that patients have the ability to do this. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
5: I just talked to some uh, nurses uh, online the other day and they said we had no idea you could do that. They're nurses Mm -hmm. and they didn't know patients could do this Mm
2: -hmm.
5: as hospitals. They do ethics meetings, but they didn't know a patient could ask. And so it puts a lot of people in the system on notice that this, get eyes on this patient. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just Mm -hmm. pay attention to this one. This one knows what's up. So um, it's very powerful. Just even filling out the paperwork and delivering it the way that we have a system around uh, helps the patient exponentially, whether they go to that ethics meeting or not. The idea is to get the change
3: you need before the meeting even happens or get out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to go in and and not be um, playing defense. You want to go in playing offense. You don't want to be in there trying to ward off things. And you want to go in there with assertiveness, uh, offense. This is the way uh, I know my rights. This is what we're going to have done. And if they aren't willing to work with you, that's when, you know, maybe we need to go play this game somewhere else. But um, if you can bring up pick one, we'll show you some of those, um, the wording. Um, and Laura, you want to talk about that uh, highlighted yellow part? Um,
5: right. So these, this is the the little notice um, that be advised: failure to comply with the following directives and/or failure to provide adequate informed consent or violation of patient rights will be in uh, will result in a complaint to the medical board for the physicians.
3: Right. And that right. language yeah.
5: has been, I believe, even updated. Uh, did you know that you can ter- also make a, a board complaint against nurses? They have their own nursing board. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're not as powerless as you think you are. I'm right. here. Right. I think my mission is just to let the world know you actually have rights. Like, lean in. Mm-hmm. You actually have patient rights. You always had them. You just
1: didn't know. So the form updated on. on-
5: yes. Mm-hmm. Just in the last 24 on, um, hours, they've even been website,
1: right? okay, they've
5: great. even been yeah. uh updated. It's, it's like, like a morning. living document. <laughs> yeah, yeah it it's is. a living document that, oh, that constantly great. has to be updated. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not a one and, the, and done. Re-
3: yeah, and the reason that is so important is because you have to think about it. Why are doctors like you said earlier, Scott, why are doctors choosing to stay there? Because they have a, a, a comfort yeah. level, they are uh making money. They, you know, everything's running smoothly and it's easier just to get that paycheck. Yes, you're going to kill people. But in, in their minds, um, one way or another, either they think, well, I'm just following orders or mm-hmm. I don't want to, to lose this comfort level. Well, when a complaint is placed against uh, that doctor, that disrupts their comfort level because they have to investigate and that's on their record. And, and it takes time they, and
5: money to do it. Let me just tell you the the aggravation and I'm not here to harass doctors. I love good doctors. I love right. them. It's if you're doing something inappropriate, then I have a problem with you. I love people. But if they, if they, if they uh, violate what, my boundaries, which is my front door of my house, then I have a problem with that person that I previously loved. OK, so mm-hmm. if you're doing something right, don't worry about it. Just do the right mm-hmm. thing. But if you're doing something wrong, it'll it'll trigger a board complaint. And then you'll have to take time away from earning money to mm-hmm. to go to this possible hearing and mm-hmm. uh hire an attorney. It costs money and time, and it's always a, a complaint on your record, right? Which also weighs in on maybe privileges to a hospital. I don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Does it
3: or is it? You know, right. and if we can put up, up that chart of uh, pick two is uh, is another thing is, you know, uh, the effects that the medical board complaints have on that, the comfort levels of the uh, doctors in their career um, without a license. If their license is taken away, you're not going to be in the hospital as a doctor. You're not going to have a private practice. You're not going to be pri- uh, private, urgent care. You're not going to have the consular medicine. Um, and without a license, you can do the other ones on the bottom, which is, you know, you can be an assault a consultant, but. How willing is somebody going to want to hire you if, if your license has had hits on it or, or been revoked? Same thing with with the Mia and, and supplement sales. So, you know, if if you chose to do these things on your own, that would with your license, that's fine. But if you're trying to run uh, or, or trying to hide behind a hospital, um, you can't. And and that's what they they feel so comfortable that these laws were made to protect the hospitals and they were made to protect the hospitals, but they're not made to protect the individual doctors. We can still file complaints against them. And and that's what they're not understanding. Um and, and uh, I don't know if you want to talk any more about that, Laura. Well, just that they have to investigate every complaint.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it it is a nuisance for good doctors doing the right thing and they get a maybe a bogus complaint. I hate that for them. Right. But there is a place to be investigated if you are doing something that is um, harmful
2: mm-hmm. to
5: the general public. You should, that should be investigated. That's what the board was was set up to do. So mm-hmm. use it. Patients have the right to tap that structure and file a complaint and let the doctor defend himself. Mm-hmm. It's going to be exactly. time and money. It, it's something you can do. hmm and you that gets, it gets to the doctor's attention. It'll make, mm-hmm. they think that, that the patient will, it doesn't even know they can do this.
2: Mm-hmm. And as
5: long as they just uh, appease their, the powers to be that are paying their paycheck from being a doctor on staff at a hospital, that they're, everything's golden. Everything is just easy street. They didn't, never thought a patient would ever push back. And this mm-hmm. is how you push back on your patient rights.
3: Yeah. And and people have to stop being passive, you know, like, well, yeah, my dad did die, but that doctor sure was sweet up until the last day. You're not there to make friends. OK, you don't go to the hospital to make a new friend to have a party with later on. You go to the hospital for this person's expertise and they took an oath to first do no harm. Okay, I don't care if they're smiling at you. I don't care if they're mean to you. A lot of people want to turn in the ones that were so mean to them. Well, yeah, I get that they Mm -hmm. were rude, but honestly, if they were rude to me but did the right thing, I would be okay with that. You know, that's fine with me. You can call me all kind of names that you want to, but if you're if you're you know medically treating me the right way and I live, then you know we'll just. We won't be friends, obviously, but I'm glad you did the right thing and you just have a bad personality. <laughs> you know? But but these other people, they want to uh, to conflate uh, personality with the actual job of the doctor. And, and you can't you can't cross those two. Um, so we need to start holding these people accountable and, and realize that it didn't work in Nuremberg when they said, I'm just doing my job. It didn't work. Doctors were hung. And, and it's coming. It's coming again. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. It's coming again. I don't know when, but it, it's coming to a head and people, people need to start doing the right thing, not doing uh, what they want to get uh, self-gratification and payment. And
1: I, you know, I want to segue that it actually is here, but I want to make sure you, what I want to do to wrap things up is I want to go through a couple of slides just to tie this together from a big picture. And then I'm going to give you guys the last word, but is, do you have anything else before I go into that? Because you're saying it's coming and I'm going to share that it's, it's actually here and I want to okay. prove it. I, I want to
3: hear, I want to hear the it's here part.
1: <laughs> you ready? You ready for me? I'm
3: ready. Okay. Yes, I'm ready.
1: Okay. So, you know, so you would wonder. How did this happen? How, who is behind the hospital standard of care? And I want to show you beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a collusion between the insurance companies and the federal government to get the hospitals to do this. So Don, can you bring up the the first article? All right. So now I'm going to have you, Don, scroll down to, uh, let's see, I got to get there. All right, standards from without. So scroll down to standards from without. Okay, so now if you if you look at this document, um, you'll see that just if we just look at the the first piece of this, um, you'll see that it, it says in part the medical profession was responding to pressures from third party payers. Uh, that those are insurance companies who look to standards to reduce unnecessary healthcare services, who determines those standards. In 1981, the American College of Physicians and Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association launched the Clinical Efficacy Assessment Project to evaluate the use of specific medical procedures and technologies. So you can see the insurance companies are putting pressure on the medical systems to reduce care. So that's, you know, do we want to cut unnecessary costs? Absolutely. But what they're really talking about is reducing care. I mean, it's obvious when you see these stories. So now you you know that I have uh, in December released the Health and Human Services Secretary on November 23rd, it put unilaterally in place the new death panels under Obamacare. So what I'm going to do next is I'm going to read off of some things relative to Obamacare. And then Don, I'm going to have you bring up the other clip. So you can just have me back on the screen reading. So I wanna just take you all the way back to March 23rd of 2010. That's the day the Affordable Care Act was passed by Congress. The Affordable Care Act is Obamacare. And the chief architect of Obamacare is Ezekiel Emanuel. So remember that name. If you research him, you'll see that uh, he's quite a nefarious individual. I would say that he is, is possessed. Uh, and as part of this satanic agenda, he's a key player. So all the way back to 1996, this is, he wrote on this. He wrote on attenuated care. Attenuated means rationed. So this is what he wrote all the way back in 1996. And remember, he's the chief architect of Obamacare. He wrote, quote, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So this is straight, you'd look at, this is straight out of the Nazi Germany playbook. We've got to get rid of all these useless eaters. So he's saying this in writing. That is what the man believes. And he's the chief architect with Obamacare. So now we have the new death panels. But I want to drill down Obamacare because a lady pointed this out, a doctor pointed this out to me. And it shocked, it just shocked me. So I said, can you, can you send me the reference? So she did. So Don, can you bring up the next clip? I've got to get there, so bear with me here a second. All right, so we're going to scroll down just a little bit, Don. All right, so the third paragraph. All right, so this is on page 141, section 1533 of Obamacare. Individuals or institutions refusing to participate in assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing may not be discriminated against by the government. Okay, so why would we need that provision? What they're saying is that if you are not willing to participate in these government-funded activities, you can't be discriminated against. So they're telling the entire medical community assisted suicide, euthanasia, and mercy killing is part of Obamacare. So what are, how are they selling this? They're selling this because Medicare and Medicaid recipients are 39 the money for those programs are 39% of the federal budget 2.2 trillion dollars annually so they sell that well we got to we got to control the federal budget well we know they don't care about the federal budget they just passed a 1.7 trillion dollar bill right before christmas for a bunch of bs so i mean so they can print money and do whatever they want but when it comes to funding medical for people who matter like my daughter grace who was on medicaid they don't want to do that so now just just take the quantum leap. There were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid before COVID. Take a guess if that number went up or down. Yeah, what a surprise. It went up by 38 million during COVID. So now there's 100 million. All right. So now remember, they already are selling this idea that we have to control the costs. So Mm -hmm. they already have the legal mechanism, Obamacare, in place to implement euthanasia. And here we go. I mean, we are in this hook, line, and sinker, but we're being sold. You know, COVID's over. It's everything's back to normal. We're not back to normal, and we will never be back to normal unless we repent as a nation and God then chooses to uh, extend mercy to us. But it, it will never be over unless that happens. So, my last uh, thing I want to say is um, you know, we've been programmed our entire life to trust in men and look where that has got us the fact is is we know no everybody in the entire world has to deal with jesus they have to and so we know if you if you read the scripture and i'd encourage everybody read it cover to cover you will find i mean you can't dispute what is in there and the main theme is jesus uh, died was buried, and rose again on the third day, so whoever believes in him will have eternal life why because we we are inherently sinful, and so he had to come to pay that price in god's economy. God wants a relationship with us, but he can't have it unless that sin was paid for and that's the that's the whole purpose so this is if you don't believe in that, I'm telling you you have been programmed to believe in man and look at what where, where we've gotten under man's authority i mean we are we are in a world of hurt so anyway that's i, I get, i'm pretty wound up right now and thanks for listening to me ramble uh so but, you guys you have the last word
3: well you're right and and if you believe in christ then you want to live like christ do you want to uh live by his word so to say um yeah, I'm a I'm a believer, and then you go and administer a protocol that kills a patient. Sorry, Christ would not do that. I mean, it, you, we have to um, really use judgment now. And and you're you're right on with the the insurance thing. That's exactly what it is. Um, mm-hmm. They they have been saying, oh, it's big pharma. Um, oh, it's 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 uh, all the doctors. It's the hospitals. No, it's it's the insurance running this whole thing. Um, and the insurance is the government. Um, people say, well, only Canada has, you know, um, the, the, the medical system that's run by the government. No, we have it. We have it. And we have an illusion that it's, um, it's a free economy as far as, as medicine. It's not free. The government is running that too. And there's another organization that says, oh, you know, we, we need to report all hospitals to the joint commission. Okay. And the joint commission is accreditation for hospitals. Well, who brought about the joint commission? Uh, Well, the government, Medicare, Medicaid, they they set it up and they pay for it. So Mm -hmm. why would you report to an agency that is basically a shell agency of the government uh, to turn in hospitals? They're trying to get you to spin your wheels, to waste your time, to divert you from the actual thing, the actual issue here. Um, that it, it's not, uh, it's not an extension of, cause they, they are using the pharmacies to make us sicker, um, to where we will need to go to the hospitals. Uh, but the end game is they're trying to kill us and, and, and new concentration camp is the hospitals. They just don't use a rail cart to get us there anymore. We go in willingly. We, we can't know? forget these. We can't
5: forget my, my passion is people who are behind a wall that are voiceless and forgotten. It's almost like POWs. Honestly, it's, it's, our modern day POW on our own soil. These people behind a hospital wall, people, it seems to, they seem to be forgotten and they almost are blamed if they die. It's like, well, of course they were sick. Duh. You
3: should have got the vax, <laughs> okay. you know? Or, well,
5: I'm just saying even, even, even mm-hmm. Christians and people who care about people, they go, well, were they, I mean, they were pretty sick, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, I was pretty sick at one time. Mm-hmm. I had an appendix that was about to rupture. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, there's reasons that you have to go to the hospital. And just because you have an underlying issue doesn't mean we shouldn't try to save them. It's almost mm-hmm. like if you listen to this in the same context, if you were in a car wreck, right, and you were T-boned on the highway and you're you definitely need to be scooped up and brought to a hospital, and they found out that, oh, my gosh, this person is diabetic. And would you believe there was a snicker bar in the glove box? He just well, he did it to himself. It's like, no, we don't care what your underlying problem was or condition. We never have cared about that. We just mm-hmm. treat the individual with all the comorbidities they ever had. We don't blame them and, think, and write them off just because right. they have a comorbidity. That's never happened mm-hmm. in medicine before. But for some reason... There's there seems to be a mass consciousness that well, I mean, they were kind of sick, weren't they? It's right. to excuse to excuse this crazy violation mm-hmm. of people's patient rights and doctors doing the right thing. There seems to be yeah. this the cover story is well they were sick anyway, <laughs> or
3: they were old, or they, you know they're 93 or they were ninety three anyway. You know, right.
1: well the they were ninety three number one and number two causes of death and i'm putting mm-hmm. causes in quotes was with covid it was elderly and disabled in hospitals
2: mm-hmm. yep you know mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm.
1: that's insane because those are not comorbidities
5: yeah no it's how discriminatory
3: hmm yeah
1: yeah well thanks a lot you two it was just this was fantastic you did a well, great job you. again and uh i'm looking forward to working together
5: mm-hmm.
1: all right well thank see you, you next time. all thank right thank you bye.